We're actually, Kurt said we're in this series looking at the life of David, and last week Kurt shared one of the very best-known stories in all the Bible, the story of David and Goliath, where young David uh, kills the giant Goliath, taking him down with just one uh, stone that he shoots from his slingshot. It's a great story. Today, I'm going to talk about uh, David's BFF, Jonathan. Um, the title of the message is today, You've Got a Friend in Me. Um, I'm always amazed at how fast kids make friends. When you see kids on the playground, it doesn't take them just a couple of minutes and, and they've got a new bestie. They just are ready to go. They don't even know their names yet and they're, they've made friends. Uh, but for adults, it's, it's harder. Um, if you find it hard to make a new best friend, maybe even hard just to find a few pals to go out to dinner with, you know, you're not alone. A new study shows that the average American hasn't made a new friend in five years. According to the study, 45% of adults said they find it difficult to make new friends. Today I want to talk to you about David's best friend, Jonathan. You know, before David came on the scene, before David became a national hero by killing Goliath, Jonathan already was a great man of war. 1 Samuel 14 gives the account. I just want to, before, don't worry about taking notes for a while. I'll tell you when we get to the official part. But right now, just some scriptures I want to give you about Jonathan, his heroic actions. It says, 1 Samuel 14, 1. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So he decided to go to the other side where the Philistines were, and uh, no one was aware that they had left. Verse 4. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross, to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. So you've got a picture. There's a cliff on each side of where they're going. One was called Bozes and the other Sinna. And it's interesting to me, I looked up the names of these places. Bozes means slippery and Sinna means thorny. So you've got a picture of this in your mind. They're going up to this narrow wet path. It's slippery on one side. It's thorny on the other side. And actually sometimes when we're on a journey to please God, we got to navigate through some areas like that in life, some slippery places, some thorny places where there's obstacles. And so Jonathan says to his young armor bearer in verse 6, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. In other words, let's attack. <clears throat> then what does he say? Perhaps the Lord will help. Perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will help. In other words, I'm not really quite sure about this, but perhaps, then he says, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. So what do you see? You see in this place, he's got faith, but right alongside his faith, there's a level of uncertainty. Perhaps is a word that expresses uncertainty or maybe possibility. Friends, Whenever we're going to try to do something for God, there's always a battle between faith and doubt. One time, a man brought his demonized son to Jesus. He asked Jesus to heal him. It says in Mark 9, so they brought the boy to Jesus, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The Spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and 
Help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You see what's going on here? He asked Jesus for a healing. He says, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. It's kind of like there's a, a, a war is going to happen here. A boxing match is going to happen. And the, the announcer, if you ever used to watch boxing matches, the announcer says, in, the, in this corner in the dark trunks is doubt. And in this corner in the white trunks is faith. And we're going to have a battle here. There's going to be a battle. There's going to be a rumble. Jonathan tells his armor bearer, I'm not really sure if we can do it, but perhaps we can't. It's a big task. They're not sure if they're up to it, but maybe, just maybe, perhaps God will help us. I, I love what the armor bearer says. 1 Samuel 14, 7. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I'm with you, heart and soul. The armor bearer says, whatever God puts in your heart, I'm there with you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to be gone. I'm with you from the very deepest place in my life. I'm with you heart and soul. So what the armor bearer is telling Jonathan is, when you're afraid, I'm going to stand by you. When you're stupid, I'm going to correct you. When you don't know what to do, I'll serve as a sounding board for you. But when you believe God has spoken, I'm going to go with you. When you're praying, I'm going to pray with you. So it says in verse 8, Jonathan said, come then, we will cross over towards the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we'll stand where we are and not go up. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Ta-da, here we are. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes where they've been hiding from us. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So there's the magic words, come up to us. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me, the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. <clears throat> In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area about half an acre in size. So Jonathan and his armor bearer sneak into the enemy camp on their own. They kill 20 Philistines. The scripture says it creates a panic in the enemy camp, and the whole army runs away. It says, it, it says they melted in fear. Now, the reason I shared this little story about Jonathan is because Jonathan was already a well-established man of war in Israel. He was a heroic man. He had hero credentials. Now, I want to go back to the message about Jonathan and David, because I think these two guys are pretty unlikely friends. David was a shepherd. Jonathan was a prince. Jonathan had his own set of armor. David only had a stone and a slingshot. Jonathan grew up in the palace. He was trained in the art of war. David grew up in the little town of Bethlehem, the one that we sing the Christmas song about. <clears throat> and he was trained to tend sheep. Jonathan was the oldest son and in line to inherit the throne. David was the youngest of eight boys, although he had been anointed to be king in place of Jonathan. Jonathan was of the tribe of Benjamin. 
David was from Judah. Something that you might not be aware of, most people assume that David and Jonathan were, were kind of similar in age, but they weren't. According to 2 Samuel 5, David was 30 years old when he became king, and we know that Saul reigned for 40 years, so David was probably born in about the 10th year of Saul's reign, and by that time, according to the Bible, Jonathan was already in the army and fighting in the third year of battle. So as an Israel soldier, he had to be at least 20 years old. So in the 10th year of Saul's reign, when David was born, Jonathan was at least 27 years old, maybe older. In short, Jonathan was old enough to be David's father. When David was a teen, Jonathan was a young man in his 40s. So Jonathan's love for David as a brother was kind of like having a love of a little brother. We don't know how the two of them met at first. Maybe they met at one of the many occasions where David was called in to play the harp or the lyre for the emotionally tormented Saul. It says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 15, David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So apparently David was going back and forth. Saul would have one of his headaches or whatever he had, and David would come play the guitar or the harp or the lyre and sing a few songs. It made Saul feel better. And their friendship began to grow. Apparently soon after David slew Goliath, it says in verse 57, as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. Nice picture, isn't it? First Samuel 18.1, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. So you have to just imagine Jonathan's first impression of David, this young musician, giant slayer. He's a warrior by day, songwriter by night. It's, it's not often in life that you see someone whose hero is younger than you are. But that was the case for Jonathan. David was a hero. David was a man who could soothe the king. David was a man that could defeat the enemy. And actually, David was a man that could cause the ladies to swoon. It says in 1 Samuel 5, 7, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, you just got to picture this. David is just radically loved and well-liked by everybody. I think most people in Jonathan's shoes would have felt a little threatened, maybe even jealous. Certainly, that's what Saul felt. Saul did not like the song David has killed his 10,000s. It says in verse 8, Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with 10,000s, he thought, but me with only 1,000. What more can he get but the kingdom? It's a little bit of a jump if you ask me, but he says, and from that time on, Saul gave David the stink eye. Well, actually, he kept a jealous eye on David, but not Jonathan. Jonathan saw in David what God saw in David. It says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, say it with me, the Lord looks at the heart. You didn't say it very well with me. Let's try it again. But the Lord looks at the heart. 
David was a man after God's own heart. David often gets recognition for having a heart for God in the Bible. But Jonathan clearly had a depth of spiritual insight and discernment that's worth remembering. Jonathan could see in David what God saw in David. Now, I said they had a lot of things that were different, but they also had a few things that were in common. Both David and Jonathan were warriors. Both of them were men of faith who served the living God. And both of them had God-given courage and strength. And they became very, very close friends. In fact, they, they sealed their friendship with an oath. It says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and belt. So Jonathan makes this covenant friendship with David to signify he, he takes off his robe. That would have been like a royal robe. And he took off his, his um, tunic and even his sword. And so, so it says in verse 42, Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Now, we know a few more things about, <clears throat> about um, David and Jonathan. We know from 1 Samuel 18 that David married Jonathan's sister, Michael. So they, be, they became, you know, brother-in-laws. Not only friends, but there's a family relationship. And uh, in... 1 Samuel 19 and 20, it gives us several accounts of Jonathan protecting David and saving his life. David was chosen by God and appointed to replace Saul as king. Saul wasn't happy about that. And um, Jonathan, who, who would have normally been the king, <clears throat> loved David, realized he was a friend of David, realized that God had chosen David, and so he saves his life several times. It says in 1 Samuel 23, verse 17, that he's the crown prince of Israel. He says this to David, you will be king over Israel, and I'll be second to you. So Jonathan has an amazing attitude. He recognizes God's moving and, and something else to see. You remember that covenant oath they took about their friendship? They said it was going to go on, not just you know, between them, but through their descendants. And um, so when Jonathan dies in a, in a really tragic battle, David writes a lament. He writes, a, it's a funeral dirge, 2 Samuel 1.23. He says, how beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and death. Now, David's charitable about this. I guess it's at funerals you go and you hear nice things said about people. Sometimes, have you ever been to one of those funerals where you're thinking, are they talking about the same guy that, I Saul? Really? Beloved and gracious? Really? Okay, that's what David said. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul, for he dressed you in luxurious scarlet clothing and in garments decorated with gold. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead on the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of women. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. Stripped of their weapons, they lie dead. So one of the things that you see after David grieves the death of his friend Jonathan, David takes care of one of Solomon's sons. 
a man named Mephibosheth. It's not on the top 10 names of, that we're using these days for people. But Mephibosheth was lame in both feet, and he ate at David's table. And it says in 2 Samuel 9, 11, David treated him like one of the king's own sons. So David practiced his friendship with Jonathan even after Jonathan was off the scene. So that's the background. Now, I want to give you four takeaways that you can look at this friendship of David and Jonathan and see some pretty critical things, I think, about making friends. The first thing you need to recognize is friendship is a gift from God. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, says this, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. But in reality, a few years difference in the dates of our birth, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Jesus Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. Our friendship is not a reward for discriminating and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauties of one another. Not only does God grant us friends in life, Jesus taught us the very best example of a friend, and he was on the planet demonstrating what it's like. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Of course, the ultimate act of friendship is that you'd be willing to die for someone. Dying for someone would be a clear demonstration of love. But laying down your life is far more ranging than dying for someone. Laying down your life, what, what does it mean? Well, it means laying down some of your own preferences, laying down some of your own desires. Laying down your life, it, it means laying down some of your own schedule. It means that we will focus on things that help us to love and care for our friends and help them grow and mature in life, sometimes at personal cost to you. So the first thing to see is that friendship is a gift from God. The second thing to note, a true friend is true. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. True friends are true. They don't just come and go. They hang with you. Jonathan had many, many, many reasons to give up on David. To be honest, uh, their friendship was filled with challenges and with stress. Jonathan's life was threatened because of his loyalty to David. It would have been far easier for Jonathan to got out of this friendship, to dump David. Yet Jonathan was faithful as a brother. And at the end, David remained faithful to Jonathan, even to his descendants, caring for them just as if they were his own family members. A true friend is true. The third thing to see, a true friend loves you as he loves himself. 1 Samuel 18.1, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Verse 17 of 1 Samuel 20, and Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Now, 
Two different times you read this, Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. His love for David was a selfless love. Jonathan loved David as, as he loved his own soul. Even though David inherited what in normal circumstances would have been Jonathan's, it didn't cancel their friendship. How easy would it have been for Jonathan to get jealous? Think about this from in your own context. How easy is it for you to get jealous when something happens to you that seems like it wasn't quite fair and somebody else gets a benefit that, that you don't think they really deserve? Because there's not any indication in the Bible that Jonathan did anything wrong. His family lost the throne because his dad sinned, not him. I'm not sure how I would have responded, but I think I would have been tempted to say, that's not fair. God, that's not fair. I didn't do anything wrong. And I think it might have caused resentment because David got the blessing that he wanted. But that wasn't Jonathan. Jonathan respected what God had done. God recognized that he had appointed David and he genuinely loved David. It says... Um, in Job chapter 5, verse 2, surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. Did you know that? Resentment destroys the fool, jealousy kills the simple. <clears throat> That's why the Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament, rejoice with those who rejoice. Jesus tells us, Matthew 23, or 22, verse 39, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is the ultimate example of this type of love. He, he literally loved us all the way to the cross where he went to save us. If you don't have a, a, a personal friendship with Jesus Christ, you can read all about how he feels about you in the Gospels. But David and Jonathan's friendship, even from the Old Testament, is inspiring. But Jesus is an even greater friend. Let me ask you, how jealous are you when people that you call friends have things happen to them that you wish had happened to you, are you secretly resentful when some blessings come into their lives? What about when they get the boyfriend that you wanted? What about when they got the starting position on the team that you thought you should have got? What about the good grade that they got when they got their name on the honor roll and you didn't? At least I didn't. Are you... Resentful about your friends who look so fabulous at their age and you think you don't look quite as fabulous? Or why do they have so much money and you've got so little? Or why are their kids excelling at school and getting all the scholarships and yours are just struggling to get by? And when that happens, we just think, God, why not me? They're not better than me. But true friends are selfless. It rejoices in the blessings of your friends. So even when the blessings are blessings you wish you had yourself, you rejoice in the blessing your friends had. Now, I'm going to take just a, a, a rabbit trail here. When you preach, you're not supposed to take rabbit trails, but I'm going to take one. Because I wish I didn't have to say this next part, but I think I do, because the world that we live in. Some people have tried to say that David and Jonathan must have been gay. Their friendship was so close, so intimate, so committed, they must have been gay. 
It's sad to me that people go there because what that tells me is our culture is so lacking in friendship that we can't even imagine a loyal, loving connection to somebody without there being some sexual component to it. But the Bible frequently points out friendships that are loving and supporting and life-giving and that are not sexual in any way. Elijah and Elisha, Ruth and Naomi, Paul and the married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, Paul and Timothy, Jesus and his best friend John, Jesus, Mary, Martha, Martha and Lazarus. And actually, a, a really good example of a non-sexual relationship of love is Jesus and you. Jesus says in John 15, 14, you are my friends. None of these relationships, none of these friendships were sexual. Maybe you're thinking, well, Rob, how do you know they weren't? Well, I want to give you a couple reasons why. First, the writer presents David as someone who was zealous for God and to honor God's laws. And Jewish law could not be any clearer about this issue. The writer would never present David as a man who upheld the law if he had a glaring inconsistency like this in his life. In fact, you can see later in the scripture, in First and Second Samuel, the writer pulls no punches when David deviates from the law. He tells us of, of, of David's great failures in, in detail, of his adultery, of his murder, of all of the things that he's done. He consulted a witch. He does a lot of things wrong. The Bible's clear about telling us those things. The idea that the writer's just hinting around that maybe 2,000 years later we might figure it out is ridiculous. In fact, it's a prime example of reading the Bible with an agenda rather than reading it on its own terms. Maybe more convincingly, however, is that David contrasts his love for Jonathan with sexual love. And he says this, after Jonathan dies, David says this, 2 Samuel 1, 26, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. <clears throat> when you hear something like that, you think, whoa, that's pretty intense. And it is, but David is contrasting his love with sexual love. He's saying, this is a different kind of love. This is a different kind of commitment. This is not a sexual commitment. This is a real significant experience. I, I think the temptation for people to read this story and feel that there's got to be a, a sexual component to it tells us how little our culture knows about the biblical concept of friendship. And um, that category of, of biblical friendship is something God's calling us to have, not to be afraid to have relationships that are intense and personal and intimate with people that are on, on a God-to-God -God spirit level. Number four, off the rabbit trail. Take away from this story. True friendships help you find strength in God. 1 Samuel 23, verse 16. And, Saul, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't you think that is just an incredible testimony about friendship? David was at a, at a real low point in his life. Everybody was betraying him. He maybe had made some mistakes in battle. In the middle of a very dark time, in the middle of a moment, actually where David had come to the end of himself, the Bible tells us Jonathan helped him out. Jonathan helped David find strength in God. I don't know how he did that. He probably by praying with him and talking with him and counseling him, he spoke courage into David's life. 
when David was ready to give up. Have you ever had a time like that where someone has spoke courage into your life, where you're just at the end of your rope and you're just ready to give up? I know a couple times we've had that situation. Kathy and I have had that situation. We were going through really dark issues in our family and with health or with crisis, and people have said, you know, we believe in you, we're with you, we're praying for you. Jonathan spoke hope into David's life by reminding him that God still has a great plan for your life. Even at a time when the world seems to be collapsing around you, you know, God's got a plan. I don't know if this is in your notes or not, but you ought to write this down. True friends multiply your strength. True friends multiply your strength. God designed our hearts to work that way. I know years ago, I went to Promise Keeper, and I heard a, a, a pastor named Stu Weber, and he was speaking, and he was talking about geese that fly in a V formation. You ever seen geese that fly in a, in a formation like that? Well, he said, there we got a picture. He said 71% of flying range is extended because when geese fly in this formation because of the strength that they conserve. That's because the wings of the bird in front create an updraft and makes flying easier. So all the birds in the V benefit from the one who's doing the work in front of them. Now you say, well, what about the poor sap that's out in front? Well, actually, they take turns. They just keep trading off, and, and each one goes for a little distance, and when he gets tired, they rotate back. Okay, so, so you think, okay, Rob, but that's for the birds. <laughs> what about people? Well, here's one about people. I love to watch the Tour de France Bible, bicycle race. Kathy and I watch nearly every stage. Today is stage 16 of 21. A key part of bicycle racing is the peloton. And um, here you see a picture of the peloton. And you ever wonder, why are they all riding in a big group like that? Why are they riding in a pack? And then there's a guy right up in front. There's a team up in the front here. <clears throat> well, in the peloton, <clears throat> it's been estimated that the drag reduces the amount of effort that you need to put into race by 40%. So the people in the peloton are drafting along behind the rest, and it takes way less energy. <clears throat> and, and, and so they're helping each other by staying together in a group. Okay, so I gave you geese and bicycle. Maybe you want something better. A Bible example. How's that? Deuteronomy 32.30. says, one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put how many? Say it with me. But two can put 10,000. God made us so that our strength multiplies when we pull together. I don't know about you, but I know that when someone else is praying with me for my problem, when I know a friend is praying about my problem with me and for me, it makes my burden feel lighter. Have you ever experienced that? Where, where you knew people were praying for you and they were they were rooting for you. It's one of the greatest experiences of life when somebody looks at me and genuinely says, you got a friend in me. If you got troubles, I got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together and see it through because you got a friend in me. I, I, I thought that was an old hymn, but actually, it's actually Woody from Toy Story. Um, but it is true. So when we have friends... And we're making friends, we look for that quality. Choose friends who will help you find strength in God. Be someone who helps others find strength in God. Love pushes us to better places. Friends, you just need to be aware that true friendship 
will push you towards God. Proverbs 18, verse 24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the band if they'll come back. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. I guess it's kind of hard to get any closer than a brother, and to be honest, brothers are obligated to be there. It's part of the family code. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. If a person has many companions or numerous friends that are just kind of chosen indiscriminately, he can find himself in trouble. It's better to have a true friend than many less reliable companions. How many of you know that Facebook friends are not real friends? Today is the day for you to begin to think about what kind of friends do I have? What kind of friend am I? And maybe it's time for you to make some intentional choices about pursuing biblical friendships. Maybe you think, I don't, where do I even start? It's not like you can just go to the playground like the little kids and pick it up. So let me give you two connection points. First thing you can do if you want to make deeper friends, start serving. I guarantee you that yesterday at Serve Day, some people made new friends. They were working together. They were bumping elbows. They were sweating together. And they were getting to know each other a little better. And the second thing, if you've ever heard me preach, you'll know this is coming. Get in the small group. The small group that Kathy and I have hosted has added several new people over the last few months. It's been wonderful because these people don't just attend our meetings. Now they become included to our circle of friends. They're people that we are sharing lives with. So friends, serving and small groups are both important. But let me just tell you, every survey that's ever been taken in churches say people feel more connected when they serve together. So start there. Start serving. Check out one of the boxes on your connection card. After the service, go out to the, to the um, info desk and tell them, I want to serve, what can I do? It'll, they'll gulp when, they, when you go out there, but they'll have something. And let me tell you one more thing. Sign up for the Next Steps series, and we'll tell you about stuff that's going on that's coming up on July 30th. Let me pray for you, and then we'll close. Thank you, Lord, that you said, I call you friends. Thank you that in the Bible there's wonderful examples, and this one of David and Jonathan is just one of the star pictures of all of true friendships, a heart and soul friendship. Lord, we want to have those kind of connections in our own lives. We, we want to get past just superficial, it's nice to see you, to the point that we actually share our lives together and become friends. So I ask for, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and that you would help us engage in real friendship. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.